0: Welcome to our hour-long podcast to explore HR's most consequential challenge in 2017, preparing for the silver tsunami. I'm Katie Lawrence, the VP of Sales at Career Minds, and joining me today is Raymond Lee, the CEO of Career Minds, Luann Coomer, Director of Participant Services at CareerMinds, Minds, and a certified retirement coach, as well as Ken Pinnock, Director of Talent Management at the University of Denver. We'll be analyzing the factors that have created the environment for this wave of retirements to take place and also address the effect it could have for HR on both a macro and micro level. We'll wrap up by giving an inside look into surfing the silver tsunami, also referred to as the mass exodus of baby boomers from the workforce, by conducting in-depth informational conversation with recent retirees and HR directors currently facing this challenge. This is CareerMinds' first SHRM and HRCI accredited podcast titled An Insider's Look into HR's Newest Challenge, Preparing for Baby Boomer Retirement. Career Minds is a next-gen career transition firm providing outplacement, retirement lifestyle planning, and leadership development coaching to organizations and higher education institutions. For more information about our programs, please click the chat box on our website at www.careerminds.com and instantly speak with me or a member of our team. To receive your SHRM and HRCI credits for listening to this podcast, in the chat box on this page that you are on, please submit your name, email, and three things you learned from this podcast. Our team will then respond back to you with the credit information. So now that that's out of the way, how's everybody doing today? Doing great, happy to be here. Doing
1: great, Katie. Doing great, Katie, Thanks.
2: Good.
0: Thanks, I'm glad to chat with you guys. So let's get right into it. The silver tsunami, or the mass exodus of baby boomers from the workforce over the next decade, is poised to heavily impact HR. On average, 10,000 baby boomers will retire each day. Raymond, which types of impact will this have on HR?
1: Well, first of all, Katie, thanks for having Luann and I and Ken on the podcast today. It's exciting to be a part of the first Sherm HRCI credit for career minds. So really happy to be here to talk about this very timely topic. Yeah. So you mentioned eight, uh, 10,000 baby boomers retiring every day. It's yeah, definitely a challenge for HR. And, you know, some of the things that I think about are primarily succession planning. When you look at today's labor force, there's over 54 million millennials in the workforce today. It's the largest segment of our workforce with Gen X are shortly behind. And uh, with the number of baby boomer retirements happening over the next uh, three to five years, this is creating a big gap from a succession planning standpoint, there's just not enough Gen Xers to fill the gap uh, from a succession planning perspective. And uh, they're faced with having to uh, tap millennials and really develop them quickly. And so, you know, as as boomers are thinking about retirement, uh, planning is, is critical as ever in trying to figure out the knowledge transfer to those that are going to succeed them.
0: Yeah, I think that's interesting, Raymond, as an older millennial and kind of reali- reading the things that have been written about my generation and, and um, as far as us asking for training and development and we want to move ahead. It's interesting now that this is all coming to fruition, which is something that we're realizing actually needs to be done in the wake of these retirements and to prepare for them. Um, as far as the situation, the baby boomer retirement crisis uh, arising, Luann, what do you think are some of the societal and environmental factors that cause this?
3: You know, Katie, that is a great question. And and I think the reality is people are living longer and they're working longer. So we really need to take that into consideration with retirement lifestyle planning.
0: But yeah, and, and to that point, the average baby boomer is planning to work into their seventies, which, which I've been reading, with one in every ten planning to never stop working, which is kind of incredible. It's so much different than, you know, you worked at the same company for 30 years. You look to the day that you retire, you retired. You knew when, exactly when that was. It's so different now. And with the economy, things are really changing this. Luann, do you want to share your personal story about working into your retirement years? absolutely
3: it's a fun story to share I've I've worked in the career transition and leadership transition space for years as a consultant and then as a leader and about five years ago Katie I took a nice package from one of CareerMind's competitors actually as I was just ready for a change and at that point I was only 51 I needed to work I wanted to work but I was burned out and I wanted it to be on my terms It was really interesting because at age 40, I became certified in retirement lifestyle coaching because all of the coaches on my team went through that training at that point in time. It's really funny. I could not relate to it at all then. But after leaving the organization at 51, I pulled those training materials and the life options assessment out, and it all became so clear to me. Um, I had the perfect opportunity to look at all the dimensions of my life that had been on the back burner because I was climbing that corporate ladder. So I started a portfolio co- career, which included executive assessment, leadership development, and lifestyle uh, career planning, um, but I also started taking art classes and found out that I'm talented and, and I've sold some of that work. Um, I started taking cooking classes, started volunteering, and began singing again. Then after about five years of developing these aspects of my life, um, which I'm continuing to do, I joined Career Minds full-time as Director of Participant Services. And, and now I manage our coaching services and, and contribute to the development of, of those services.
0: I think that's so great that now you're in in kind of your um, – as you're a longer tenure in an organization or, or into your working years, you're able to kind of really find what you're really excited about as well as work on your terms, like you said. I think that's so wonderful, and and being able to find something that can fulfill you both within work and outside of work, you know, which is something, again, kind of going back to the millennials that they're looking to do mm-hmm. as well. So. In a perfect scenario, um, what, how do you think that employers should be approaching retirement, kind of having this knowledge of you personally, but then also seeing how the, re- the baby boomers are working longer or planning to never retire, and that's really affecting the businesses? How, What is kind of the perfect situation?
3: Well, you know, before I share the perfect situation, which I think is twofold, I want to share an example with you, Katie, about how this coaching can make a difference from a social and an emotional aspect in, in someone's life. And and I'd like to, to share um, a story about a participant that, that I recently worked with. He was a provost at, at a college. Um, His background was history, and he had been a history professor for a number of years before he went into administration. Um, He had plenty of money to retire. That wasn't his issue at all, and and he had always assumed that he would travel the world and immerse himself in cultures. You know, maybe spend two two months in China, and then three months Mm -hmm. in Italy, come home for a little while and, and do it again. Um but what he found is that, although from a financial place he was ready to do that, he had two kids at home who um two two grown kids at home who were still living there and, and depending on him financially and he had a ninety four year old mother so it wasn't realistic for him to think that he could travel the world at this point in time. so you know, what does this this gentleman do now? And that's what the coaching really, really related to. How can he have that purpose, that meeting in his life right now? And, and I'm happy to tell you that um, by going through some exercises and, and doing some self-exploration, he's now a docent at a local um, museum. And he's also giving walking tours of his local downtown community, and he immersed himself in the history of the downtown so he could make it really interesting. And and and, and he's having a really good time in life now.
0: I think that's a great story. And then, as far as the twofold, the the, the um, perfect situation in retirement, what can you share with us about that?
3: Well, I think it needs to start early, and what I mean by that is when employees are nearing 55 years of age. Now, it it started earlier for me, but at at around 55, start looking at phased retirement as part of succession planning in, in your HR department. Um, So, you know, you look at it then and you can offer this as a a benefit to people so that they can really start thinking about it. And then, you know, you can offer them a, a full program at a later date when they're actually ready to retire or if you find yourself in a reduction of force situation, you can you can offer the full-blown retirement plug program at that point in time too, and that has a component of job search for the person who may want to do something different, whether it's less responsibility or simply using a different skill set, etc., or perhaps even volunteering. So that that's how I think it needs to look, Katie.
0: Oh, thank you. yeah. And um, I know I talked to some of our clients who are kind of afraid to have these conversations, especially at you know age fifty five because they're afraid of feeling making the employee feel like they're pushing them out. But then on the other side, the employee is also a little bit afraid because they don't want to volunteer and seem like they are ready to leave. So it's both sides wanting to have the same conversations but being afraid to. Uh, Raymond, are there any big no-no's or things you wish you could tell HR executives about approaching this subject?
1: Well, first of all, you certainly want to make it a non-threatening situation. Um, There's a lot of value, as Luann mentioned, in engaging in the conversation early as you're planning for uh, succession. But uh, the other thing is that uh, Luann mentioned painting, Uh, the other gentleman was interested in giving tours, there may be development, self-development that individuals need to start thinking about, especially at 55. They may have to go back to school. They may need to get some training. And so if the organization uh, allows employees through a standard benefit to start having a conversation about what they want to do later in life in a non-threatening way, um, it will allow them to really plan effectively. So I would say, you know, a no-no would be to make everyone, um, go through the process. Um, I would say it's on vol- a voluntary benefit so that employees know there is an assessment they have access to, which Luann mentioned mm-hmm. is we use the life options assessment to identify gaps and also, uh, start thinking about the future. So definitely you want to make it a voluntary benefit and also, you know, not, um, you know, tie it to anything that's threatening for them, and you know them disclosing what their plans or their interests are.
0: I've even had uh, a client say who we had brought up this this kind of service and starting to think about planning. Um, who said it's a great time to have this conversation at a deferred benefits meeting, which usually happened around uh, age fifty five. So they have this compensation that could be coming to them in in, in various ways. It really is complementary to the financial conversation. You yeah, have this money. You're 55. Let's think about what you're going to what you're going to do do with it. So it helps them to start thinking about it. And I even had another um, client say that um, an employee said that she was retiring. She wanted to go on vacation, so she went on vacation. They stayed in touch, and she said, "You know, I would have still worked. Um, I could have just taken a sabbatical or something like that. But I retired because I didn't think I'd be able to." to do this and to take this month off. And so that really got them thinking about how can we approach this and retain our, our talent and have these conversations so that at least we can start to mentor the next generation of leaders and, and um, you know, really make sure that we are succession planning, like Luann mentioned before.
1: Well, the other thing that I was going to add, Katie, to what you were saying mm-hmm. is that you could, in in that conversation as well, that you have with your employees, as they're talking about what their interests are, you may actually recognize there may be something else in the company that could be a challenge for you to fill in terms of um, uh, open positions. And so you may recognize skills or interests that retirees or, or employees are thinking about doing later in life. They You may want to hire them and a kind of an, a part-time contract situation. So you may have, at the same time, created some kind of a, a talent retention strategy.
0: Uh, that's a great idea. Or even, I mean, thinking differently about this while still, you know, retaining that talent, um, you know, that that is finding some another interest that they may have, or even offering them uh, the opportunity to, to scale back A year or an hour a year um, or five Mm -hmm. hours a year if they don't want to work full-time or give them less responsibility so that maybe they're not the CFO but they can be the controller but they just don't want to have all of that on them while they're starting to plan that next stage in life well great I think this was a great conversation about uh, you know kind of the stage at where we are right now with uh, having the conversations about retirement sharing a little bit about our participants and, and what our clients are seeing Anything else anybody wants to share before we wrap up?
3: Katie, this is li Something that just occurred to me is the opportunity for mentoring, and, and it can be mentoring from um, boomer to millennial and millennial to boomer. Um, what I mean by that is, is when you know, as, as to, to your point, and also to Raymond's point, re- regarding um, the the thought of of uh, you know trying out a different skill or or utilizing um, someone's talents in more of a part time capacity. Um, if we're beginning to phase those retirements, um, it, it gives the opportunity for um, that um, boomer to begin grooming um, their replacements. But just as importantly, mm-hmm. it begins giving those millennials an opportunity to begin teaching boomers some of the things that, that they're very talented with who um, the boomers may um, be very interested in learning.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's a great point that I know that um, companies have have been implementing and, and, you know, Fortune 500 companies have been implementing that. So thanks for sharing that, Luann. OK, we will see you again in Section 3. We'll be back with Luann and Raymond to talk a little bit more about the initiatives or support that organizations can provide to their retirees to help weather the storm. Our second area of analysis uh, will give an inside look at how organizations are preparing for mass retirement and how the silver tsunami is impacting other areas of the workforce. Ken Pinnock, the Director of People Development at the University of Denver, is familiar with preparing for this massive change. It is also notable that higher education as an industry has the largest number of employees at retirement age. Raymond is still with us, and uh, we welcome Ken. Thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you. I appreciate being here.
0: Thank you, we appreciate you have, uh, speaking with us. So uh, Raymond, Ken, when did you first realize that baby boomer retirements, or maybe lack thereof, were going to have such a big impact on the workforce?
1: Well, so first of all, I'm gonna jump in, Ken. Katie, the, uh, the baby boomer generation is, is still 50 million strong in our workforce today, as, uh, as research suggests by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And now that the millennials are the largest segment, Uh, recognizing that there is a shift and over the next four years um, there's probably close to 40% um, of boomers who are going to be eligible to retire uh, in the next three to four years Um, and and Ken we were um, recently looking at some research that uh, University of Michigan had conducted around a number of institutions and this is going to be quite disruptive for at least higher education because that's gonna leave a gap of talent within the institution. And, uh, and so this is something that is is definitely coming up in the horizon.
2: And I agree, we see this at the University of Denver, uh, where in a sense some of our longer term uh, employees, as we've talked about before, Raymond, particularly with faculty, they really are reticent uh, to retire uh, for a number of reasons, social, emotional, and, and fiscal. Uh, so in higher ed, there's a different kind of a glue, if you will, because of that social and emotional connection with uh, higher education uh, institutions that really slows down people wanting to, to leave, but, but it's happening anyway. So the, to your point, the change is occurring. Uh, even with some of the reticence from people wanting to uh, step away from their position.
0: So, Ken, what strategies have you implemented at the University of Denver to prepare for this shift? This is something that we hear from our higher education clients, is that they have these reluctant retirees who say they're going to work forever. How are you managing that?
2: Uh, A few things. A, A couple are probably more you know, traditional or kind of a given, if you will. One is we have reworked our uh, uh, employee orientation faculty and staff program and onboarding program. And we really focus, our program is about six months where there's an intensive, you know, three quarters of a day. But then really the onboarding happens at the unit uh, level. But in that part of that half day, we take a good 20 minutes or so, and we focus on uh, professional development and career development at the university. And we, in fact, have a, we've brought in a, uh, on my team, uh, in people development or talent management, uh, a full-time career coach that works with uh, employees, staff, and faculty uh, to do career planning, career coaching, and interestingly, uh, we're new into this, but a lot of the clients that she is receiving are what we would view as millennials who are newer to the organization, and they're already thinking ahead. And so yeah. we, we've, we've changed the focus on the in our orientation and onboarding. We emphasize socialization quite a bit, and then also career planning right from the beginning. That's been one kind of immediate
1: change. Ken, I'm really curious. So um, for the baby boomers, the the consultant, that career coach that you have on staff, um, knowing that employees, uh, people are living longer and they're starting to think about if the ones that do retire are looking at uh, doing something different, something meaningful in the next phase of their life. Um, and, And this whole new retirement paradigm it's more than just sitting at the beach and you know sipping pina coladas and playing golf and and having the leisure time. I'm wondering if you have any uh, insight or or has anyone that's sort of the older generation tapped into the career coach to get a sense of maybe what they could do later, you know, when they retire. Is do you find those kinds of conversations are happening? Yep.
2: Similar, Raymond, what we're seeing is, uh, for a a while in my organization at the university, uh, there was a real uh, hesitancy to speak about career development, meaning it's not just within this organization. It it could be anything. It could be within their field, within the profession. Probably the biggest change that we've seen is a more openness to talk about that it everything isn't about DU in this case. There's been more conversations about that than kind of retooling for another career. Uh, Mm. That conversation still seems to be with the longer-term employees who are in the the traditional retirement age where they now start looking at what could I do um, when I leave the university? I'm still... Willing, able, and wanting to work.
1: Yeah. So. No, that makes a lot. Little bit of both. Yeah. No, that that makes a lot of sense. I think one of the challenges that we're seeing uh, as an organization that coaches around retirement is that if the institution or the organization doesn't provide an opportunity for employees to openly discuss in a non-threatening way what they want to do, then you're probably going to see. People not really bringing it up until they've they've declared that they're moving on. Mm-hmm. They're they're um, uh, because then there's no threat of any kind of not retaliation. That's probably not the right word, but um, you know that they're going to begin to push them out. So it, it that kind of makes sense that that those conversations happen later.
2: Yes. Yeah. And you know one finding or one experience that I've been noting that has surprised me. You know we often talk about the interest in well career development as we just touched on and then you know the whole work-life balance alternative work weeks uh those things what's interesting that i've noted is my team is doing we're doing a lot more workforce planning and basic job design kind of hr work and where that's coming from is is the, the interest In autonomy in employee roles and meaning when people are coming into the workplace uh, and this has been a change at least anecdotally with newer employees coming in of the millennial uh, you know demographic they want more autonomy and control over their work and this is not new but this is becoming much more pronounced and there so it, it, it's, it's just that. And so people from the HR world will go, well, that's like 1950s and 1960s HR stuff. And it is, but it's, they're wanting the autonomy, the control over their work. They want to own their work. Uh, and that's becoming much more pronounced. And that's actually changing how supervisors have to manage because it's like, wait a minute, I'm supposed to be involved in all these decisions, and then we have these new, newer employees coming in saying, hey, I can do this. I got it. It's fine. Mm-hmm. So that's been an unexpected kind of in the trenches experience that we are certainly seeing here. So
0: well, that's interesting. That kind of takes us back to some of the stats that Raymond was talking about, too, about the multi generational workforce. And one of the tough questions we get online is about how am I going to manage this? You know, I, I have all these generations that are experiencing different things in different parts of their career. And talking about millennials, how are we keeping them happy sometimes? And I mean, this could be the case in higher education due to the long tenure and people not wanting to leave. How do we keep millennials happy and developed? if maybe there's no, not always the next position available for them. How do we maintain this talent that we've worked so hard to cultivate? What are your thoughts or advice around that issue?
2: What are you finding, Raymond, with the organizations that you work with?
1: So there's an interesting article that just popped in my head from the Harvard Business Review that um, millennials are mentoring. There's this concept of reverse mentoring, where millennials are actually mentoring boomers on new trends, new techniques that, um, that are in the industry. And so um, what, what we're finding traditionally um, over the last couple of years that um, organizations, not just higher ed, but in general, um, are, um, feel like they need, there needs to be a knowledge transfer from boomer to the millennial and that there's this all this experience that needs to be transferred that creates the opportunity for millennials to grow. And what we've found is that there are organizations and institutions that are allowing and creating a way for millennials to actually mentor uh, boomers, executives in newer technologies and newer ways of uh, of doing things and it's in it's exposing a younger generation to uh, a higher level executive um it's it's giving them the opportunity to you know kind of showcase what they learned and experienced and then it's at the mm-hmm. same time it's creating um, a knowledge transfer that's kind of moving up the organization versus down the organization mm-hmm. and um and so this whole idea of knowledge transfer um being more one way is is um I think that's being turned upside down I and mean, the HR is driving this this kind of uh, program and so anyway that, that was something that came to mind
2: well and it makes sense because people in the, the at, at the different generations at the boomer and beyond they they know they're going to be wanting or going to be working so they're they're wanting that knowledge in terms of how do I do this or how does this work so I could ab- absolutely see that it's it's going both ways now. So it makes sense.
0: That's, yeah, that's good to, to hear. And I'm seeing this more with, with organizations and I'm an older millennial, but I definitely have the kind of typical characteristic of a millennial of wanting to progress my career and wanting to learn more and wanting to get to the next next step. And I, I really love what you're doing at the University of, of Denver, Ken, because Talking about the career path from the very beginning and letting them know that there's a, potentially a place for you here, but there's also potentially not a place for you here. So let's have open conversations about that. It's really nice because I had been successful at, you know, one of my first jobs it was a large company based in Philadelphia. And I was expressing mm-hmm. my desire to, you know, move up a new organization. And uh, I was basically told that people come here and they stay and you're going to have to go somewhere else if you're going to want to move up. And that was discouraging to hear that i have been at this company for three years and there was no place for me. So if I had had a mentor, if I had had a career path, if people were open with those conversations, I probably would have stayed there. Um, So that's interesting, I'm so happy to see that that's kind of happening happening now.
2: Well, and your experience is very telling because the organization you're referencing was very open uh, about kind of again the expectation piece and that's another piece that's really uh, people are employees are very interested in just tell me what does this look like and if you know in terms of growing moving forward uh, the more that employers that we can be just honest and upfront about here's where we're at here's what you're doing or want to do here's where we can meet here's where We may not meet, but we can support you while you're delivering your expertise and uh, work with us. I mean, that is another uh, big expectation of recruits coming in. It's really Mm -hmm. no more softening. It's like, tell me. Right. Uh,
0: Exactly. I have to say, too, in, in recruiting and managing employees, that's something that we value uh, is transparency and making sure that you know our our employees know where they stand as well as our clients you know it's important to have transparency and i certainly appreciated the honesty while it was maybe a little discouraging to hear but still letting me know where they stood enabled me to move on with my career uh something that i couldn't do there so i appreciated it yep. so. okay uh we're close to wrapping up but i'd like to see if there's any final thoughts on uh anything that we talked about today
2: one thing I might add, uh, from my experience, uh, in the HR field and, uh, just in my current organization is I've, I've noted, uh, that kind of what is old is new and we, we focus again, uh, just to sum up, a lot on the things that is in the media around, you know, being a cool employer and a fun employer and those are all really good. Um, but when you really look at what drives and motivates and keeps people, it's those foundational items uh, with respect to um, working with multi-generations in a very inclusive workplace, really looking at what is the, what is the job and how much autonomy and control can I have? Uh, those are the things that we often overlook. It's like, well, that's just a given, but it's not. Those are the things that really will anchor people uh, within organizations. I don't know, Raymond, kind of what you found as well from your perspective.
1: I I completely agree. I think that's well said.
2: Yeah, thank you, Ken.
0: And Raymond, uh, it was great to hear about both of your experiences and insights regarding this topic, and we appreciate your time.
2: Thank you, I appreciate
1: talking with you. Yeah, thanks, Katie, for having us.
0: Our next area of analysis will give an inside look at how millennials are being impacted by workforce changes and the silver tsunami. Our guest on this topic is Kristen, a human resources business partner and a member of the millennial generation. She's familiar with preparing for this massive change, not only through her profession, but also personally. Raymond is still here with us, and I'd like to welcome Kristen, thanks for joining us.
4: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, we appreciate it and are looking forward to getting your thoughts on a couple of things. Um, so being a millennial in, in the workforce, what are the current challenges you and, and other millennials are facing?
4: So I think a lot of people view millennials as having a sense of entitlement, poor work ethics, are impatient. Um, my perspective is really that we're a very energetic creative and passionate generation. Um, There's a really great British author and motivational speaker, Simon Sinek, who I had the pleasure of listening to one of his interviews about millennials in the workplace. And as hard as it was to hear what he had to say, a lot of it was really true and kind of pinpointed what the challenges were for millennials. We're really a generation where we're looking at instant gratification. We always have our phones with us, Um, as simple as, you know, wanting something, we can go onto Amazon, click that we want to purchase it, and we get it two days later. Or, you know, if, if we want to watch a movie, we can simply download it, and we don't need to, you know, look at movie times and schedule a time to go. We're just very used to that instant gratification. When we're into the workplace, the situation has changed for a lot of millennials because they are brought up thinking that they're special in. Um, Simon Sinek's interview, he really explains how um, parent, parenting was very different than it was in older generations, and as simple as millennials receiving participation medals. They're just always always um, receiving that instant gratification that, that they're special. So when they're in the workplace, things change. Um, so these are some of the challenges that I think are you know, things that millennials are facing today. The first one is learning and development. They wanna feel valued. They have no problem jumping around organization to organization if they don't feel that their employer is committed to them and that they don't feel valued. Another thing is receiving frequent feedback. A lot of millennials are really striving for that frequent feedback, whether it's, you know, what are you doing right? What do you need to work on? They don't want to wait until the annual performance review to receive that feedback. Another (laughs) example that I have is um, rigid work dates. With the advances in technology, a lot of millennials feel that they can work when and where they want. Um, Having those flexible work arrangements would be a really great thing for them. A lot of baby boomers have the point of view that if they don't see you doing the work, then you're not doing the work. So, you know, I think having flexible work arrangements would be great for millennials. Um, Not a lot of employers are really offering it at this point, um, but they really, millennials really want to focus on having experiences and, um, you know, really looking for that work life balance.
1: Kristen, that's awesome insight. I have to ask. as it relates to the instant gratification, you talked about the parallel to work and how millennials really want more um, on-time feedback versus having to wait a year. Just from your perspective, I'm just curious, um, the, um, um, the feedback that you give, do you have any thoughts around what millennials are expecting around negative feedback if they're not doing something right you know this this idea of them growing up everyone receives a trophy and always getting complimented how should a manager and I'm an exer and I you know I I lead employees and I'm always thinking about you know how do you present constructive feedback to millennials from your perspective um
4: Sure. So I, I think it's important to have both. Uh, obviously, everyone has room for growth and improvement. So having, you know, both what you're doing well at and what you need to work on are crucial in order to develop as an employee. Um, what I always recommend my managers doing when it comes time for feedback is to lead with the positive. If you lead with the negative or the things that you need to re- improve upon, I think a lot of millennials focus on that and kind of tune out what else is being said as to what they're doing well.
1: That Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I struggle with that personally, um, because you don't want to deflate the energy that millennials have in their work. Um, But recognizing that, you know, nobody's perfect and, you know, there's always development. Um, And so, you know, I, I see that on a pretty regular basis. So I that's good advice, leave with a, lead with the positive and then um, offer the constructive criticism afterwards.
4: Yeah, and I think another piece of that is offering what resources and kind of mentorship that you can offer as a manager so that they can excel in that area You know, eventually.
1: One of the things that we have a lot of millennials at our company and um giving autonomy to run projects or run assignments seem to be um gives that purpose that they feel like they're contributing to uh to the organization and so kind of you know building a position around that um in some cases i don't know i feel like that that right there um can serve as is kind of a retention tool you mentioned that millennials are you know quick to leave if they're not happy and so I just found, you know, in leading millennials that engaging them where they can lead something even even early in their career will go a long way. Do you find that at your organization?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people leave because they're not engaged or, you know, they don't really have faith in their manager, but being able to be creative in the type of opportunities that are offered can really go a long way.
0: So from an HR perspective, Kristen, how do you think organizations should should be responding to the things millennials are concerned about? So we already talked about the feedback and giving constructive criticism and maybe even helping with, give them some projects uh, to help find their purpose, but also show that they're a valued part of the organization and the organization really does count on their expertise and wants to give them the responsibility. What other things can companies do to uh, respond to the the needs of, of millennials?
4: That's a great question. Um, I think one of the most important pieces of this is to encourage growth and development. Incorporating things like leadership development programs, having a wide range of internal learning opportunities are really important. Um, I think also, having opportunities for employees to attend external seminars and conferences, um, just really showing that you are, you are investing in them is very key. Also, as I mentioned before, flexible work arrangements, whether it's being able to telecommute once a week or having a um, schedule where you're working shorter day, you're working more hours, but a shorter work week. Also, I think is important is having education regarding the different generations and how they can better work together, Um, particularly for managers. How can I better manage the multi-generational workforce? Mm -hmm. And lastly, I would say encourage managers to provide regular feedback, not just when it comes time for the performance reviews. Um, The managers that I support in my role, I really encourage them to not only meet with their team on a frequent basis, but also meet with each of their staff members one-on-one at least bi-weekly. So it gives them a chance for open communication and really to discuss their progress on a regular basis.
0: That's really great. I wanna kind of touch on this feedback thing. I'm just giving a sales perspective where We, you know, hearing about the reviews and getting this feedback once a year, once a year, because I always, you know, being an an older millennial, I have the very same view that you do, Kristen, where I want the feedback. I want the constructive criticism. I I don't want to wait until one time a year where you're going to tell me the things that I did good and the things that I did bad. You know, these are learning opportunities. So as I do them, you know, I appreciate the feedback. But also that being said, in sales, I think that we've done a really good job of this constant feedback you know, from from the beginning a lot of times in organizations that I've worked with previously and even here at Career Minds where I want to meet with my sales folks once a week. And, you know, it is about numbers and revenue, but it's also about um, you know, strategy and developmental opportunities, uh, aside from just the sales piece of it. So um, you know, I, I see that now being implemented as the model for, you know, folks in HR or folks in finance. And it's interesting to see that kind of what we were always used um, is is now catching on. Now I want to go back to something that you were talking about too about the multi-generational workforce because this is a really hot topic and a lot of, of what we're talking about at Career Minds with our prospects and clients, this is starting to come up more and more about the silver tsunami. So share with me what your viewpoint is on these mass baby boomer retirements that are going to be affecting organizations and what the impact is on the workforce from your perspective.
4: All oh, right, that's a great question. Um, it's no doubt that the population is aging. And um, working for an academical, academic medical center, we see that people are getting healthier and don't require as much medical attention and care as they used to. Um, procedures are less invasive and require shorter hospital stays or even outpatient services. So people are living longer with that. Employees are staying in the workforce longer. And I think baby boomers um, really, like millennials, want that sense of purpose and to make an impact. So you see them staying um, with their employers even longer. However, I think employers are really going to see a large wave of retirements coming in the near future. So employers really need to focus on, you know, preparing for that moment. So I think it would be great if employers start focusing a lot more on succession planning and being able to prep those younger generations on how to pick up those pieces how the baby boomers are going to partner with the other generations to transfer that wealth of knowledge that they have, that leadership, along with things like their long-term clients. So you know, if you're if you're not ready to be able to plan for that, you're going to lose all those pieces.
1: Kristen, that that's such a good point about the uh, that knowledge transfer. I actually read an interesting article uh, a few months ago in the Harvard Business Review uh where they're actually looking at reverse mentoring. Uh you mentioned succession planning, and what they found is that there can be some intimidation around knowledge transfer from a boomer executive to millennial. Uh, and and what they did was they ran this pilot at Price Waterhouse Cooper's around reverse mentoring that uh, created a program where the Millennials were partnered with the boomer executive and actually mentored the executive around new trends and new technologies in their industry and what it did was it exposed the millennial to the c-suite in a way that was non-threatening and it was a great exchange for the boomer executive to take um sort of some knowledge from the millennial as far as you know a different way of work a different way of you know approaching new technologies or trends in their industry Um, And that kind of of knowledge transfer is beneficial for boomers as they are thinking about the next journey in their life. And so um, kind of an interesting way of looking at that uh, knowledge transfer.
4: Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I I think a lot of millennials can sometimes be frustrated with working with some of the older generations. Um, You know, if, if those older generations don't work to continue to learn and develop newer skills, understand technology, so being able to partner and it's, it's really a win-win on both sides that can really benefit that organization.
0: I also see it as these things all fitting together, Kristen, what you're talking about as far as the millennials craving the leadership development and, and even a career path within the organization. You know, I don't think that people come into a company thinking, oh, I'm just going to be here for a year and then I'm going to leave. Millennials want to contribute and and they want to be at a company that values them and a lot of that is the development opportunities so with this you kind of seeing this mass exodus of the baby boomers which is what is probably planning to happen for most organizations you really have to make sure that in the succession planning you're thinking about the millennial the next millennial leaders who have been asking for this leadership development and um, so what programs kind of around this millennial retention development would you be personally interested in because i know you talked a lot about that what would you see being helpful for you yeah
4: absolutely so i think a big thing that is really crucial these days is offering tuition remission um i know a lot of other millennials that i'm close with they're looking for jobs where employers are offering this as well as you know, upfront offering professional development opportunities such as seminars and um, conferences. Another thing that I would personally be interested in is some sort of mentor program where, again, you're partnered with someone in older generation and you can, you know, work with them on a regular basis to, you know, kind of further your career development and kind of, again, it would be a win-win on both sides being able to transfer skill sets. Another thing would be a young professional group where you're able to network with your peers and kind of understand the different trends and the hot topics, and just really understanding different career paths and what you know other people in your organization are doing on a regular basis. I think employers really need to get creative in ways to retain their employees, not just the development opportunities, but what's the culture like? What's the full compensation package? I think there's a lot of stress around people believing that millennials are really just focused on their salary. I really don't think that's the case. I think they're looking at not just the salary, but what are the health benefits? What does the retirement plans look like? What kind of discount and perks do you have? I think you really need to work hard to stand out from other employers. One of the things that my employer is implementing that I'm really, really excited about is a talent management system. This is really going to drive a higher sense of community, and it's going to offer career planning resources so that employees can log in, just like on Facebook, where you can go on message boards, you can comment, like things, and you're able to really explore different paths and connect with people that you didn't really know have so many similar things as you. So I think Employers really focusing on stepping up their technology, and that sense of community is really going to drive employees to want to stay.
0: Great, well, we really appreciate your experience and insight regarding this issue. Any last thoughts, Kristen?
4: yeah, I just I want to thank you for your time and for including me in this. I think it's a very important and hot topic these days, so you know the more people that are aware and understand. The millennial viewpoint, along with the different generations, is really going to benefit the employers.
1: Well said, Kristen. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation as well. And uh, thanks for joining us.
0: Thank you. Yep. Thank you, Kristen. We appreciate your insights. Our final topic surrounds what initiatives or support an organization can implement to better prepare for the impact of the silver tsunami. Raymond, how is CareerMinds leading the way in supporting organizations through this shift?
1: Well, I'll tell you, Katie, we've we've obviously uh, been doing outplacement for over 10 years now, and uh, our program called Evergreen that we launched about 18 months ago was actually born out of an outplacement account. Where we started to recognize that a significant uh, percentage of employees that were impacted by a reduction in force were over the age of 55. And some of our coaches during the outreach learned they didn't want to jump back into the corporate world. They wanted something different. Um, They didn't want a traditional job or career. And it really got us thinking and recognizing that the new retirement paradigm is really, is really coming alive. And so, we responded to the market and created um, a, a, a full evergreen program that covers six life arenas that allows individuals the opportunity to assess where they are today and uh, and, and fill in the gaps of where they need to be in retirement. And so um, we're leading the way because we've we've launched a virtual program uh, that allows organizations to offer this at a low cost but offer an effective program.
0: What types of successes have you seen with the program since I know you're pretty close to it and the participants?
3: Oh, well, you know, I mentioned the the historian turned docent. That is a, a real success story. And and then I want to mention two more individuals that that illustrate a point that we haven't touched on yet But but Raymond began to introduce it and and that's the whole aspect around um, career and and I may not want to do what I've done in the past and um, I don't know how to begin to think about what I might do in the future. So um, one of the things that that the life options assessment allows us to do is take a look at at people's interests, and it's actually based on Holland code. And then we can take that out to a government database called ONET, and and we our coaches are, are trained to do this, and and we frequently go out there, and begin to look at their interests. And then the database will show them all the potential um, uh, types of work that that exist for people who have those same or similar interests. And so it can open brand new doors for people. And and one of the individuals that I worked with early on from the account that that Raymond was mentioning um, knew she loved children, knew that she was was, um, very interested in in, um, being outdoors, didn't want to sit behind a desk, and, and she, because she didn't need money and she just wanted meaning, purpose, and fun, became a school crossing guard. And she's having the time of her life now. She's loving it. <laughs> um, another woman that I worked with um, didn't need to work financially, but she, again, wanted to give back to the community, but she had no idea where to start. her into Onet, um, looked at her skills, and then she identified a, a, a volunteer opportunity through the Red Cross um, to be um, one of their volunteer um, recruiters for help when they go out and, and, and uh, work with di- disasters. She had to have a mm. resume for that a resume for a volunteer job. And, and a lot of people don't understand that in today's world, but you do. And, and so we had to look at her transferable skills. We had to look at her current resume and we had to build a resume for her that translated into the value that she could bring to the Red Cross. And, and I'm happy to tell you that we did that and she's been volunteering there for a couple years now.
2: Oh, that's
0: great. Well, this is so interesting, but I guess it does go back what we've been saying this whole time is that it's not just about you know sipping the pina colada I know Raymond likes to give this visual and sitting by the pool although that's what I envision for myself when I retire but for baby boomers that's not what they're thinking about and they're planning ahead of time and they're seeing how work and following their passion fits into that so the program does combine the job search with the with the retirement lifestyle planning as well. But I know not just from a job or financial perspective, but also from kind of that social and emotional perspective. What does the program consist consist of and how do we help our participants in, in that way?
3: Well again the pro- the program can can um, take two forms or, or, or two applications and so if it's offered as a voluntary benefit what we would provide the, the individual with would be um, the life options assessment so that they can take that snapshot of where they are right now Katie and um, mm-hmm. then we would have a debrief with a, a certified retirement coach to help that person begin um, understanding what that sn- snapshot means and, and give Give them um, the beginning of a roadmap to start planning for you know the five to ten years out. Now, the other way in which it can um, take place is through a reduction in force. Where um, the person is literally eligible for outplacement, but it makes more sense for them to have um, the Evergreen program based on where they are in life. Now, if that's the case, it, it can—you um, know—certainly it will have the job search component, um, and it'll have additional coaching so that that person can continue working with a coach on
0: their plan. Great, thanks for the explanation. I know that once we've been able to share with our participants who think they're just gonna go through a job search that, no, hey, we can help you with the retirement piece, they've been really engaged, um, and it's given them more to think about, not just from as, you know, the financial perspective, but it's actually the social connections that studies have shown are what employees miss the most. So thinking about how they're going to manage that, you know, as well as following their passion is something that I know we can help them with. So thanks for sharing. So, as we wrap up, Raymond, Luann, anything else to share about Evergreen or retirements and, and how our clients can uh, weather the the silver tsunami? tsunami?
1: Well, so I will tell you, one thing that I feel like um, you may be, people that are listening to this podcast may be thinking, you know, what's the ROI that I'm going to get from this? And very similar to outplacement. um this kind of benefit this kind of retirement planning benefits does send a message to your employees that you truly care about their well-being and and what's next in their in their life we've been uh, doing a lot of research and reading about what organizations are doing and um, there was an interesting article that was um, published just a couple weeks ago that Intel is actually helping their uh, employees who say they want to retire within the next year Um, they're helping place them into an encore career post retirement. So they're having that conversation early and they're even providing some financial benefits that ease the opportunity for them to work for a nonprofit or work for that um, institution that they've wanted to work for outside of their corporate job. And so organizations recognize this is a great um, uh, branding strategy. Um, It's also you know, great for the employees. They're transitioning out of the organization, and so um, if you're thinking about this, um, having the employees have access to this as a benefit is is really a great start.
0: Yeah, thank you, Raymond. Great stuff, guys. I appreciate it, Luann, Raymond. Thank you so much for being here, and and I hope everybody listening can appreciate um, the best practices and hopefully implement some that we've been able to share and and compile from our clients and and our research. For all of our listeners, if you're interested in learning more about this program, please send a chat in our messaging box on our website, careerminds.com, and ask us for more information. Thanks again to all of our listeners for tuning in. Please feel free to chat with us on our website, careerminds.com, with thoughts, feedback, or ideas for new podcasts. We love feedback. Also, make sure to send us a chat with the three things you learned from this podcast to receive your SHRM and HRCI credit information. Thank you.